Welcome to Iro Live with host Bob Bay. Let me kind of go over where we've been at. We've been going through the book of Exodus and talking about having our wilderness experience. We learned that God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, set them free, and how that represents God coming for us, Jesus dying on the cross for us, to set us free from the things of this world. Now, that can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. But for me, let me put it into perspective for me. I had an encounter with God, and in that encounter, he gave me back my chooser. And what I mean by that is, is before that, I was hooked on meth and drinking. A big part of that, I was just partying. I thought I just really liked to party. But I realized that after the money had run out, and after I'd burnt all the bridges that I had to get more money, and I still had to have more, and I started walking in the consequences of my drinking, and all of that happened, and I started seeing all of that, I thought, you know what? This is not partying. This is wrecking my life. But I just kept, I had this thing going on in me that kept driving me to keep doing it over and over. I was lying to Pam. I was lying to the people around me. I was lying to the people at work. I was actually in the army. It had worked out. I was in a position where I could get around a lot of things. And and so it was just terrible. I was miserable. I had this encounter with God. He gave me my chooser back. He gave me the desire to no longer want to do drugs bad enough to where I was willing to stop, if that makes any sense. So I stopped doing drugs and drinking, but what he didn't do was take away my desire to want everything to be better and want things to be the way I wanted them. And when I say that, I don't mean I was like a selfish little brat, although in a lot of ways I was. I wanted to be able to pay my bills. I wanted people not to hassle me so much. I wanted mine and Pam's relationship to be better. I wanted to be a better dad. I wanted to not live in the house that I lived in. I wanted to be able to drive a car that wasn't breaking down all the time. I didn't feel like I was asking too much. I needed things to be different. And for whatever reason, God didn't change them in an instant. And so I struggled. Let me back up and parallel this story of the children of Israel leaving Egypt with Moses. They left bondage in Egypt. They hungered and they thirst. And we talked about how that parallels the things going on in our lives, the hunger and thirst we have, not just for food and water, but the hunger we have, that emptiness that's within inside of us, that feeling like there has to be more to life than this. There has to be more. There has to be a purpose and a meaning greater than what I'm seeing. There has to be. That's a hunger within us. And then the thirst that was in us that was unquenchable, that there was something that I needed that I just couldn't find. And I had paralleled it because I work construction. And I've had times where I've been outside like building retaining walls and it was 102 degrees and and just so thirsty and nothing could quench my thirst. I drank Gatorade, I drank water. There was nothing that could quench that thirst. What a miserable experience that is. And so we find out in reading the story, and if you go back and listen to the other podcasts, it'll catch you up on, that that thirst was that emptiness on the inside for God to meet the needs in our lives. And that can be a really heavy concept. That can be a really 
crazy concept that there's something going on inside of me, this hole that only God can quench, and a hunger to find purpose and meaning that only God can fill. And so that's what we went through. And then last week we talked about the battle that we face in the low times of our lives and the spiritual battle, how we could be praising God on the hill, but our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions be battling with depression, anxiety, and those kind of things. But that's not the end of the story. That's just the beginning. That's just how it starts. Because God wanted the children of Israel to understand. He wanted them to understand where they were at and where they were coming from and who he was and how big he was and how he was able to meet their needs, how he was able to overcome the Red Sea. The story of him parting the Red Sea. So he parted the Red Sea. He fought Amalek, the people of the valley, for them. We find ourselves now in Exodus chapter 19. They've been wandering for a couple of months now, following God, following Moses. And every time they stop, they complain, <laughs> complain about being thirsty, complain about being hungry, and God takes care of them. He protects them. They get to Mount Sinai. In the Bible, Mount Sinai is a representation of God's presence, his abode on earth. When he created the Garden of Eden, if you guys remember back when we talked about the Garden of Eden, that was where God came to meet man when he created him. And that was his dwelling place in the garden. And then after the fall, Adam and Eve had to leave the garden so they couldn't have take, eat of the tree of life and live forever. God no longer had a dwelling place with men. And so he set up his dwelling place at Mount Sinai. And, and throughout the Bible, there's different places that he meets. He met Moses in the burning bush. If you guys remember the story of the burning bush, it was here. That's also called Mount Horeb. Elijah comes, and when he hides in the cave, it's in, on Mount Sinai. And so over and over again, we see that this is God's dwelling place on earth at that time. It changes later on. God brings Moses and the children of Israel to the base of the mountain. And that's where we find ourselves. And I'm going to read from verse 1 in chapter 19. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, so it's three months exactly, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. And that's at the base of it. Now, when they say wilderness, we can think of desert. But basically, it's just wilderness. It's uninhabited areas. Places of wandering would be a good way to look at it for us. And it says, For they had departed from Rephidim, had come into the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, there's a lot contained in there. 
God's telling Moses to go talk to the children of Israel and remind them. And he says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And if you remember back when we talked about it before, the Egyptians were the people that held the children of Israel captive. And when they pursued the children of Israel out into the desert, God destroyed them in the Red Sea, being the sea representing chaos in the unknown. God destroyed the enemies of the people that would come against them. Now, let's parallel that with our lives today. We have this experience with God. We receive him as our Lord. He sets us free. But it doesn't always look like it, right? The children of Israel left Egypt, but they were in the wilderness. And they were hungry and thirsty. Things seemed worse. They complained because things seemed worse. Not only that, but all of the stuff from their past was following them out to drag them back. I don't know if you guys have ever felt like that. I've felt like it for a long time. When I got clean, I lived a trailer park off base. Pam and I were married, and I had a daughter, and we lived off post. I was in the military. It was like a U-shaped drive in this trailer park, and there were trailers on each side. It was a typical military town of the 80s. You know, you would have nice houses, and then you have decent houses, and then you would have trailer parks. Pam and I lived in this trailer. We partied all the time with our neighbors. We lived on a corner, and we had a big front yard, and we would drag furniture out into the yard, and actually, I played drums then, and people would come over, and we'd play music, and drink, and do drugs, and it was just like that all the time. But so I quit drinking and doing drugs, and I'm like, okay, things have got to change. Obviously, things have got to change. I can't handle my life on those. But my next-door neighbor would say, so what's going on, Bob? You don't drink anymore? You don't do any drugs anymore? No, I don't, I don't drink anymore. Well, why not? Well, because I'm an alcoholic. I, I can't say no. I, can't, I don't know when to say no. If I can't control my drinking, I just have to quit. And he'd say, Bob... You can't be an alcoholic because I drink more than you and I'm not an alcoholic. And I'd say, listen, you do what you want to do. It doesn't matter. But this is what I have to do for me. So a couple more weeks goes by and he stops me. And he's not being the nice neighbor trying to get me to have a beer with him. Now he's being kind of ignorant. And he goes, what? So you're a Bible thumper now? I was not a Bible thumper. I wasn't even going to church. I didn't believe in organized religion at that time. I believed in God. I knew God was real because I'd had an encounter with him. But I didn't believe in religion, and I, I didn't believe in the organized church. So I wasn't a Bible thumper. But he just had this really ignorant tone to his voice. You a Bible thumper now? Are you just too good to have a beer with me now? You too good for me now? That was the enemy. The enemy coming out to try and drag me back to where I was at. I didn't want to fight with a guy. I wouldn't argue with him. I would just say, listen, I've got to do what I've got to do for me and my family. I cannot drink. And so I just started avoiding him. A couple of weeks later, some things happened so that we were able to get out of our lease. And God provided us a house just about a mile down the road, this little farmhouse. And we were able to get out of that trailer park and get out by ourselves. The enemy of my past kept the thoughts, the feelings, the different things that would happen in my life, people would say things. It would drum up those old feelings, and it would trigger me. 
I didn't want to drink. I didn't want to go back and do drugs, but it would make me feel those feelings that I didn't want to feel. But God would always work it out. He would always come back to my rescue. I got to say this, guys, just like the children of Israel, I would complain sometimes. Sometimes I wouldn't want to feel the way I felt, so I would make dumb choices to do things. I wouldn't drink or do drugs, but I might go spend money buying power tools that I couldn't afford, or I might do this or do that. The second part of this was that God said, and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I don't know if you guys know this, but when eagles, when they're young, get ready to fly, they will push them out of the nest. And so the eaglet starts flying, but it'll get tired sometimes, and it can't fly up to the nest. It kind of glides. And so what will end up happening is, is the eagle parents will come down and get underneath them. So the eaglet will basically ride on the parent, and they'll bring them back up to altitude where the winds are blowing, and then let them go again so that they can soar, and they learn to fly by doing that. And that's the picture that God is giving us, is that he comes along when we're new, and we don't know how to live life the way he designed it to be lived. He helps us. When we get weak, he helps us and lifts us up and raises us up when we need that help. And he draws us to him. I don't know where you have been. I don't know where everybody's been at. I don't know what everybody's background is. But I know a lot of times when we struggle with substance abuse or we struggle with trauma, PTSD, all the different things, a lot of times that's because of hurt and trauma that have happened in our past. And a lot of times when that has happened, it causes us to feel lonely and alone. It causes us to turn away from God. It makes it so that we can't make connections with people around us. And there have actually been studies, and we've talked about it in the past, about how kind of the root of addiction is kind of like the inability to make meaningful connections with the people around us, like they have real meaning. So that when you're in a room full of people, you don't feel alone. You feel like you matter. If we go back to the beginning when God began to talk to us about what our needs are, if you remember right, we talked about having three categories of needs. We all need a sense of significance. That means knowing that we matter, that we're here for a purpose and a reason, that somebody cares about us, that we are significant in this world. The second category is security. That means that we can rest and be assured that we're going to be okay. That's, that security is not just that we can have a nice house or a car or whatever. A lot of times it gets down to the root of just having a security inside of us to know that we are going to be okay. And then the third one is a need for relationships. That's socialization. A relationship with the people around us and to have a good relationship with ourselves. I bring that up because the start of that is that sense of significance. And remember we talked about in the wilderness that hunger and the thirst, the hunger for meaning in life and purpose, and the thirst for a connection with our maker, with our creator. And that all is found in significance. I don't know about you, but I know for a long time, especially when I was young, I was an overachiever and I wanted to make a high rank in the military. 
I wanted to drive a nice car. I wanted to have nice things because I thought it would make me feel better about myself and who I was. But it didn't. It just made things worse. I was trying to get my significance from someplace that I shouldn't have gotten it because it couldn't fulfill me. This is what God says. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You can imagine being a special treasure to God. We've already talked about all the wonderful things God did for the children of Israel before they were a special treasure to him, when they were just his children, but to be a special treasure. And we know because we can read the Bible that there's a story coming about giving them a land flowing with milk and honey, taking care of all their needs, returning them back to the garden before the fall. We know that that's coming, a place where God is meeting our needs. I'm not talking about being rich or anything, but God will make some people rich. That's fine. That's between them and God. But God will take care of us and give us our daily bread. He'll give us what we need. He'll take care of us, protect us, give us people around us that we can have meaningful connection with, give us purpose and meaning in our lives, fulfillment so that we don't feel unfulfilled in our lives. He'll give us that. You can already hear minds clicking and thinking, yeah, but what do I got to do? I can't be good enough to do that. I can't be good enough to be one of those kind of people. If you ever hear my testimony, I talk about feeling that very same way and putting off for years and walking in consequences of that. But this is what God tells Moses to tell the children of Israel. He says there's two things you must do. The first is to obey my voice, and the second is to keep my covenant. Now back at that time, He was getting ready to instill the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments, and the laws. That's what was getting ready to happen at that point. That was the covenant he was talking about. But we have a new covenant now. And that new covenant is Jesus died on the cross, provided himself a sacrifice for us, so that we in turn can leave the bondages of this world And that doesn't mean we're going to die right now. It means that we are set free. We have liberty now. God gives us back our chooser. And then he begins the process of sanctification within us, raising us up and changing us. And the only part that we have in the new covenant is placing our trust in Jesus. We place our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior And he takes care of the rest. That's what the new covenant is. And so that's the one part. Keep his covenant. He doesn't say keep my commandments. He doesn't say follow all these rules and regulations. He doesn't say follow the Ten Commandments. He doesn't say keep the feast and all of that. He says keep my covenant. And I think he specifically put it that way because he knew that one day there would be a new covenant that would overshadow the old covenant. Not do away with it, but fulfill it. We place our trust in Jesus as our Savior. And he begins to renew us, transform our mind, 
build us up into the people that we were designed to be. We learn about the covenant by reading the Bible. We read the Bible and the New Testament teaches us. The New Testament is the new covenant. And so we learn about what all that means by reading the Bible and reading the New Testament, the new covenant. But this is the only way we can learn to obey God's voice, which is the second part that he talks about in there. To obey his voice, the only way to do that is the same way that we learn to have a relationship here on earth with other people. And that is we talk to him, we listen for him to talk to us. And then he will either tell us to do something or if he sees where our life is in peril, he'll tell us not to do something. It's not about being good or bad. It's not about being good or evil. It's about obeying his voice. Because the Bible even says, to him who knows to do good and they don't do it, it is sin for him. And so what that's telling us is, is it's not even just a matter of not doing bad. God's not worried about us being bad people. And he's not worrying about us following all these rules and regulations. I desire obedience over sacrifice. God says, obey my voice. So how do we do that? When we get up in the morning, we say, God, this is what I've got going on today. And I need your help through the day. I've got to do this and I've got to do that. Can you help me and guide me through my day? And he may impress upon your heart. Okay, well, listen, you need to go here and you need to do this. Or, and I, I always give it an analogy because I can give you specifics out of my life, but I'm going to put it generally this way and say, okay, I'm walking in a straight line and I need to be able to say, I'm going to point B. I'm at point A, I'm going to point B. And maybe every day when you go to point B, maybe that's your job or something else, you go this way for a little while and then you make a left and then you make another right after that and then you make another right and then you make a left and you end up at point B. And you're used to doing things that way. You're used to living your life that way. But maybe God will say, instead of making this left, this time make a right. Yeah, but I always make a left when I come to the street. I always go to the left. I know, but this time make a right. Let me give you an example out of my life. We used to go to the lake a lot when I lived in Texas when we were drinking. We would go out on our boat. We had a boat that we had gotten from Pam's dad. And we would go hang out at the lake. And I drank all the time when I was at the lake. I quit drinking. And we went to the lake. I had no idea how to have fun at the lake without being buzzed from drinking. My normal was to be drinking when I was at the lake. But God told me, no, don't drink. You can still have fun, but don't drink. You know what? It took me a little while to learn how to have fun. I don't want to say it took a couple of years, but it took a couple of years for it to become natural. For me to be able to just let go. You know, I would just let go and do crazy stuff. I didn't care what people thought about me. I would do whatever. It took a couple of years for me to get to that point to be able to do that sober that it would take me a six-pack to get to before. Does that make sense? So that's taking a right instead of a left. Instead of drinking when I come to that, I need to not drink. Instead of doing this behavior, I need to do this behavior. He'll tell me, he talks to me even today. He talks to me about work. Oh, well, you need to charge this much for this. 
You need to do this. You need to do that. And I just need to practice obeying his voice. We're going to miss it. There are going to be times where we're going to come up and we're going to be like, I always go left. Surely I should go left. I always go left, and I don't know how to get where I'm going unless I make a left. And so we make a left, and God corrects us a little ways down the road and says, no, see, you got to go back to that intersection where you were at because you need to make a right. So you need to turn around and go back there. Oh, okay, I see now. I understand now. And so you go back to that same intersection and you make the right. That's how we obey the voice of God. He tells us to do something or not to do something. And then we practice doing that. Father God, I want to thank you for tonight. I want to thank you, God, for speaking to us. God, I'm asking that you would speak to everybody there, everybody who hears this. Speak to them about the significance in their lives and about how you want us to be a special people to you, that you see us as being special, regardless of the way we see ourselves, regardless of the way our self-esteem is, regardless of the way we talk to ourselves or the way we think about ourselves. God, you see us as being special to you, and you want to teach us and train us in those things. I'm asking, God, that you would water these seeds that were planted from this, God. Help us to understand. Help us to internalize this and get a revelation of being a special person in your eyes. And help us to hearken to the voice of your leading and your calling. And help us to walk in this covenant with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, it's as simple as this. As far as a covenant, if you don't know if you're in covenant with God... All you got to do is just talk to him and say, God, I want to be in this covenant with you. I want to understand. And he will open it up to you. He will unfold what it means to be a follower of Christ to you. I know when I first got saved, I had an idea of what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And that idea was completely wrong. It was based on merit. It was based on being good enough following certain rules and regulations and that's not what it's about thanks for listening please comment and subscribe for upcoming podcasts to order your copy of my real life go to the take action page at our website reallifeministries-stl.com or go to real life ministries stl on facebook